You're listening to the podcast of Geo Lake Parish in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, please visit www.geolakeparish.org. The message last week reminded me of a joke. A was it a baby, a living stone, and a, and a, a building go in, uh, and a priest go into a bar or something like that. So I was thinking this passage today kind of reminds me of that robbers, eunuchs, and foreigners. But the, the question I want to deal with isn't, isn't a joke about three people who go into a bar. Um, it's a question of how big is your God? Uh, how big is your God? Or maybe, maybe for some of you, I need to ask, how small is your God? I, I think for a lot of people, for, for me sometimes, it's very easy for, for me to, to make God very small. Uh, I, I find that I have a God some days who, who loves but only a little bit. Or who who is uh, mighty to save, but not very much. And so I wonder, how big is your God? How big is your God? We're in a series now. Uh, we began last week, the, the, the priest and the, the baby and the living stone. Um, uh, we, we began talking about the house of God. Um, the, the, something happened 2,000 years ago. If, if you look at the the way people used to think of the house of God, they would say, I know what the house of God is. It's that big building up on the hill. There was a temple in Jerusalem, and you could see it for miles away. Uh, it was the biggest building in Jerusalem, and it was up at the very top of the hill of Mount Zion, and you could see it for, for, from anywhere. So if somebody said, what's the house of God? They'd say that thing right there up on the hill. They knew what it was. Everybody knew what the house of God was. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus lived on this earth and he died and was raised again, he blew up a lot of people's notions about God and about, about the things of God. And one of them was, what was the house of God? One of the things that the people re- realized 2,000 years ago, that the house of God wasn't a building, that God wasn't the kind of small God that you could fit into a temple, but that God was so big that the only place that God could fit was in the people of God. So they began talking, as we heard in, in Ephesians, and as we heard last week in Second Peter, our kind of theme verse for this whole series is this idea that we, the church, are the house of God, that we are the living stones that make up the, the building that God dwells in. So that's kind of the big idea of this uh, whole series. And uh, what we're going to do is, like the early church, we're going to kind of say, okay, well, how does that change my thinking? If, if I see God's house as not a building, a building like this or a building in Jerusalem, if I see it instead as the church, how does that change my thinking? And so we're going to look at a, a very famous part of Scripture where, where Jesus says, uh, Jesus actually quotes it himself, uh, where the uh, prophet Isaiah says that the, the house of God is a house of prayer for all nations. So what I want to do just to kind of set the table is look at the passage that Jesus, where Jesus quotes it. If you've got um, a Bible of your own or if you want to follow along on the yellow page um, in the program, uh, you can read this. Uh, we'll look at um, what Jesus said in Jerusalem. He, he went into the, the temple, as you heard, and um, he began driving everybody out. There was uh, tables for money changers, and people from all over the empire would come and they would worship there, and they had drachmas or denarii or whatever kind of coins they had, and those were forbidden because they had pagan images on them. And so you had to change your drachma or your denarius 
to a shekel because shekels were good blank um, uh, coins that that you could use to to buy your your sheep or your dove or whatever whatever it was you wanted to to make a sacrifice of you could use uh, pure money and Jesus Jesus told them that that's wrong and he quoted this passage and unfortunately because of the context where he quoted it I think a lot of us uh, use this opportunity to put God back in a small box because because Jesus says um, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you've made it a den of robbers and I think what a lot of people do in churches is they look at this passage and they say okay so money in church is bad and so they say we can't have we can't have um, any more bake sales in the church or we can't have any more garage sales anything involving money you know if you're gonna if you're gonna contribute uh, to our offering you should do it with a check because somehow money is, is is bad, and that's not really what Jesus is getting at. And I want to I want to see that as we I want to show that as we look at Isaiah. Um, uh, there's Jesus actually quotes two different passages. He also quotes the Den of Robbers from Jeremiah. If you look at the back of the program, question two uh, talks about that. So if you'd like to look at that um, when you get home, uh, let me encourage you to do that. What was Jesus getting at when he talked about a den of robbers? But what I want to do now is look at chapter 56, um, verses 1 and uh, 2 is where we'll start. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet. He was, uh, he was ministering about 500 years before the time of Jesus. And he said to the people who, who had small gods, who thought that God had a little bit of love or a little bit of power, Isaiah said this. He said, Thus says the Lord, Maintain justice and do what is right. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Now, so far, that's pretty straightforward, right? That's that's actually a pretty small God. You keep your end of the bargain and God will keep his end of the bargain. There's nothing really spectacular about that. Um, the only problem is it's kind of hard to keep our end of the bargain. I don't know about you, but he says... He says, maintain justice and do what is right. Well, I do some days, uh, some of the time, half-heartedly. I don't uh, uniformly and excellently maintain justice and do what is right. I do keep the Sabbath. Um, I know some of you go fishing on Sundays, but I'm more holy than you. I, I, I get paid to come to church on Sundays, so I do. People would notice if I disappeared. So I, I'm pretty good about keeping the Sabbath. I don't actually rest and spend time with God some other day to make up for working today. So in that sense, no, I don't. But but um, I do at least come to church on Sunday. How about refraining from doing any evil? Ever? Any evil? Even little small evils? Are they okay? No, I don't. I don't keep my end of the bargain. So if I've got a small God, a God who is an accountant, a God who simply keeps his end of the bargain, I'm in trouble. But that's not what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, there's a different God. You shouldn't put God in a box. He says this. He says, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. Well, why shouldn't they? They were. Uh, the, the foreigner joined to the Lord. The Lord will surely separate me from my people. Of course he would say that. If a foreigner showed up at the temple and said, Hey, I've heard about this God of yours. I want to worship him too. They'd say, Great. 
That spot right there is called the court of the Gentiles, and you can worship him right there. You cannot come any closer to God than the court of the Gentiles. You can't come to the court of the women. You can't come to the inner court. You certainly can't come to the holy place, and you most assuredly better not come to the holy of holies. They had all these zones in the temple, and they told the foreigners, you sit back there. We've got a spot for you, okay? And you cannot come any closer. So, of course, the foreigner would say, the Lord will cut me off from his people. The Lord will separate me from his people. Why wouldn't he say that? Or the eunuch. The eunuch says, I'm just a dry tree. Well, what's a eunuch? A eunuch is somebody who has had their sexual organs mutilated or um, or, uh, removed, and they can't have children. So, of course, they are dry trees. Nothing could be more reasonable for these people to say, I've been separated, or for the eunuch to say, I'm a dry tree. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. He explains why not. He says, thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall be cut off. He says, he says, you may be a dry tree, but God is a bigger God than you can imagine. God can do something even with you. And he says about the foreigners, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of his of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. That's the verse that Jesus quotes. And Jesus has in view this whole passage. He's saying, when foreigners come to the temple, they want to worship God. You're making it hard. You're actually making a profit off of them. He says, don't do that. That's not what God wants you to do. He says, God wants you to make it easy for people to worship on his holy mountain. So Isaiah continues and he concludes, Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them, not just the outcasts of Israel, but others beyond, besides those already gathered. God cannot be kept in a box. God is always showing more grace, more love, more mercy than we can imagine. And so if we have a God who simply keeps his end of the bargain, who simply does what's expected, we have a very small God. Isaiah says, no, there's a much bigger God. You need to know about the much bigger God. So if we see this passage in light of what the New Testament tells us about Jesus, tells us what Jesus taught us, and we read in the New Testament about the house of God is the church, not not the building that we gather in, but us, the church, the saints. What does that tell us? Well, I don't know about you. I don't know any eunuchs. So you may say, well, not a problem. Okay, if I knew any eunuchs, I could tell them this, but I don't. But that's not the point. What's a, what's a eunuch? It's somebody who's been mutilated. Do you know anybody who's been damaged? Do you know anybody who bears scars from what other people did to them? I bet you do. God says, 
I will give them a monument and a name better than children. God will bring healing to their situation. God will give them grace in a way that that you and I cannot imagine. They're not dry trees. How about dry trees? Do you know anybody who's childless? Do you know any childless couples? You may. Do you know anyone who's frustrated because the thing that is on their heart, the thing that they want most in the world, has been denied to them? And they feel like dry trees because of it. Isaiah says, if you think that God can do nothing for them, if they think that God can do nothing for them, they have God in a very small box. And they need a big God, a God who cannot fit in a box. How about people who are depressed? People who just feel like dry trees. They feel like their life is pointless. There's really nothing nothing to bother with. And they say, well, there's no point in it. Do you know anybody like that? Isaiah says, I will give them a name. I will, I will give them a place and a means where the things they do have eternal significance, an everlasting name. Everything that they do will have eternal consequences. They're not dry trees. Or I don't actually think this is the point that Isaiah is getting at, but in our culture we can't escape it. What about people with different sexualities? Okay, eunuchs have a different sexuality for sure. How about people who experience same-sex attraction? Can they be part of the house of God? That's the question that Isaiah invites us to reflect on. Do we have a God who has boundaries and limits? Now, I don't know. I don't know what God does with people who who have same-sex attraction. I, I, I don't have a same-sex attraction myself. I don't know what God can do or will do. I don't know whether God heals people or God blesses them in their in their uh, um, their sexuality. But what the scriptures tell us is that I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. I think we are invited to look at the people we know, the people who feel cut off from God, the people who feel like dry trees, and say, what can God do in this house of God for them? How about people who are foreigners? Do you know anyone who feels like a foreigner? People who feel alienated from God, who feel like when they come to church, they have to sit in the court of the Gentiles. Maybe not because of anything we do um, but simply because they feel guilt or, or an overwhelming uh, sense of alienation from God. Do they feel cut off? Isaiah says, let not the foreigner say, surely the Lord will separate me from his people. And then there's the times we actually create our own little court of the Gentiles, where we say, you're welcome to come to our church, but you need to know what to say and when to say it. You need to know what to sing. You need to learn the entire church vocabulary. You need to know how to dress. Do we create for the stranger, for the alien, a court of the Gentiles and say, you're welcome here, just over there? Isaiah says, don't put God in a box. So, 
Maybe you can identify with some of these situations. Maybe you say, I felt that way myself. I have put God in that box, my own self. I know what that feels like. Well, don't. Isaiah says, open your eyes to see what God can do. Open your eyes because God cannot fit in any box. Maybe you say, no, no, actually, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I, I don't feel like any of those things really connected with me. Well, Isaiah says, well, Jesus says, speaking through Isaiah, that we are the temple. We're the arena in which God does those things to heal and to bring hope to people. So ask yourselves, how can we as the church communicate that grace that God reveals here in the scriptures? If God does his part, if he brings hope and healing to the alien and the dry trees, will we do our part? Because that's the kind of God we teach people about. We either teach God about a very small God or a very big God. Jesus knew that this would be something we would struggle with in the church. He knew how easy it was to forget how big a God he was, how much love he had, how much grace and mercy he had. So he told us before he died, he said, I want you every so often to eat a meal and remember what I've done for you. I want you to remember how big a God I am. He said, take a piece of bread Take some wine and remember, I gave my life for you. He says, that's how big my love is. He says, don't put me in a small box because I'm a big God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You've been listening to the broadcast of Jew Lake Parish in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, please visit www.jewlakeparish.org.